Thank you for being here, friend, and welcome to Exploring the Seasons of Life, a podcast for women with a big heart on a spiritual journey. I'm your host, Cindy McMillan. Do you ever feel like you're waiting on a permission slip to live the life you want? If you answered yes, then you are in the right place. Each week, I interview coaches and spiritual explorers from all walks of life about beginnings, endings, and the messy bits in between. Self-love, well-being, and mindset are at the heart of our conversations because once you change the inside, the outside will begin to change as well. Hannah Fowler is joining me today, and you are truly in for something magical. Through her work as a hospice nurse, Hannah found that planning for death and becoming aware of our mortality can actually allow us to experience more meaning, fulfillment, and presence. This is what drew her to become an end-of-life doula and conscious dying educator. She is also on the faculty for the Conscious Dying Institute and brings end-of-life doula training to healthcare systems. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course, Cindy. I'm so grateful to be here today, and I just love any and every opportunity to have these meaningful conversations. So thank you so much, truly. I really appreciate it because one of my most listened to episodes was back, gosh, I think it was episode 17 when I interviewed um, an end-of-life doula. And that's been one of the most downloaded episodes. So I was like, you know what? It is time to revisit this. So thank you. I love you. it. I'm here for it. <laughs> so what does exploring the seasons of life mean to you personally or in your business? Mm. I think in life that we are here to learn and make meaning and grow and really to expand into the fullest expression of ourselves. And that takes lessons and contrasting experiences and discomfort sometimes. Um, like winter, I think of nesting and uh, waiting and reflecting and um, often through discomfort. And other times life can feel like a summer breeze. And the one constant throughout all of life is that things change, right? They wax, they wane. And I think there's a real art to experiencing whatever season you're in without judgment. And perhaps with faith that there's a reason that this thing you're facing exists. And perhaps it's even there to nourish you or to nourish others and to allow this expansion and this growth, even if it's uncomfortable. And I think that death is a lot like that. I mean, how we die, how we face that season in our life can change uh, not only our experience, but the lives of all those around us and generations to come and the planet even. And so life really is a, is a series of little deaths, right? Deaths of careers and relationships and changes in our bodies. So in many ways, exploring the seasons of life to me means um, using what's happening in life as medicine and as a means to appreciating where we are and to sort of trust from that larger vantage point um, to see life and change and seasons and death as teachers and as sacred forces. Hannah, I love that. And especially when you said life is, is a little bit like small deaths, you know, 
because that is what it can be like. And I wasn't even thinking about this, but it's when we don't integrate those small deaths, as as you said, but if we don't integrate what is mm-hmm. happening to us in those seasons, you know, and bring those in, it's really hard sometimes to flourish. Mm. Definitely. I would love to hear your journey to becoming a sacred passage doula. <laughs> sure. Oh, let's see. My quote unquote plan was to become a nurse practitioner so I could practice alternative and functional medicine. I was always interested in getting to the root of the problem and addressing not only the body, but also the mind and psychosocial and psychospiritual factors instead of putting a band-aid on symptoms. But what happened was while I was working as a nurse in a hospital in Vermont before going on to be an NP, I was diving deep into meditation and metaphysics and energy healing, um, transpersonal and epigenetic studies. And I just found myself becoming more drawn to the healing that occurs at the level of the soul more than anything. Instead of of going to an NP program, I, I pivoted to hospice nursing, which I'd always been drawn to in some way, because it offered the great privilege of being with people in a more sacred way. Being able to witness and be a part of this threshold crossing from the physical reality to the non-physical and, and seeing the healing that's possible there. So I worked as a hospice nurse in Colorado for a couple of years before moving to uh, Key West, Florida in 2017. And much to my dismay, the exact week that I moved there was the week that the local hospice had closed. So I was in search of another way to do this work. And that's what led me to the Conscious Dying Institute. I happened to be flying to Colorado a few, and a few days before my flight, I had this um, intuitive nudge to sort of research what other options there were. And I saw this end-of-life doula training through the Conscious Dying Institute, and I just knew immediately that I had to enroll because the beginning of their training was the exact time that I was going to be there in Colorado. And so the rest is is history. And it really was one of the most um, transformative experiences of my life. It recalibrated me from the inside out and, and changed my way of being in the world. And most of all, as I mentioned earlier, what's always sort of enlivened me is talking with people about who we really are beyond these bodies, beyond these roles and these personalities that will inevitably dissolve and getting in touch with our essence as that which is beyond form and beyond the physical and how to be present in life and appreciate it instead of taking it for granted and and becoming an end-of-life doula allowed me to integrate all of that. I love that story about how we can have those intuitive nudges, mm. so to speak, and they just lead us on a totally different path. When you were in hospice, and I'm just curious about this, did you find that people were scared of going into hospice? Yeah, there's a lot of resistance. We're, we're afraid of, of talking about death. I think it's something that we all know is is our destiny but we um we're we're very much death phobic we divert our eyes and ears from it at any chance we get yeah i was going to t- ask you about that a little bit later but could we just talk about that right now sure and um why do you think our culture is so death phobic yeah 
<laughs> that's a that's a really good question, and I won't pretend to have the answer, but I can speculate. You know, we turn on the news today and we see people dying from violent acts from this virus, um, but we don't see it as up close and in person as we once did. So I think I think we have this disconnect between knowing people will die, but not engaging with this loss physically ourselves or through ritual and ceremony, which is the medicine that brings meaning from death and grief. Um, for example, there's a Buddhist practice of watching a body decompose after death, and it really allows that reality to sink in, that death is real and inevitable for us all. And in the past, people died at home, so you took care of your loved one who was dying. And after they died in the home, there were multiple days of, of celebrating this person as their body withered and, and changed after death. And that was natural. And people came together to bury this body or burn this body, depending on the culture. There was a communal aspect to this process. It was very hands-on, um, and you couldn't hide from it. And so there's something about having a hand in this process, literally digging the ditch yourself, dressing this person after they've died, that relates to this Buddhist practice of letting it sink in that this is a part of life. And I, I think we went so far the other way of having death privatized, um, of a business model of death through the creation of the funeral industry, which um, does the preparation of the body instead of family in most cases these days. So this combined with the medicalized model of death that we have now, which is sort of, you know, life at all costs, I think we've shifted our understanding of death over time as something that's sacred and natural and something that we're all involved in as a communal process to instead suppressing the reality of death and, and hiding our eyes from it. And and also with that, we've lost the importance of ritual and, and ceremony as a way of working with death and grief for healing. So not only are we carrying massive amounts of grief relating to death of loved ones, mass violence, race inequality, environmental destruction, you know, all of this stuff every day, but now we have nowhere to put it. We have no safe place to let it out and be held in that expression. And in today's society, I don't think we have a lot of space surrounding recognition and celebration of death or grief as a result. And because of that, you know, we've suppressed and condemned these parts of life to the farthest corners of our mind and in a refusal to admit that it is so because we don't have the capacity for holding these parts of life anymore or the intense emotions they contain. So, so just imagine a world where everyone planned for and talked about death and we knew it as a daily reality. So when our time comes in this imagined world, we have community to go to and to talk freely about it. Um, we feel held perhaps and, and supported and maybe less afraid. We feel equipped because we've gained this familiarity with the unfamiliar being death. And with this support and guidance, we have a willingness to really show up uh, with vulnerability because we know that we're held by this thing itself and by others because there's conversation around it. Whereas reality in present day Western cultures, we don't have this holding space. And so how can we expect it to face something without that level of support? Um, so that was a long answer. It wasn't very succinct, but that's where doulas come into play as well. No, Hannah, that was absolutely beautiful because as you were talking, I was, I was thinking about, I have death cafes. Are you familiar with those? Yes. Yes. Okay. I used to facilitate them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, 
So I have started having death cafes, and it's really interesting to one that when I mention it to people, they are totally freaked out about it, and they want nothing to do. You know, they don't want to show up. They don't want to talk about death at all. And then people who do show up who are open and free with what they're saying, and I find that so refreshing. And I also wanted to mention that, you know, I was thinking my father passed away in August. So probably about six weeks ago. And I'm thinking about, you know, ritual and the things that you were, you know, you were saying. So can you just talk a little bit about, you know, what an end of life doula really is and what their role is with individuals and families? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be, I'd be happy to. And I just want to, I just wanted to take a, a breath with you, Cindy, because that's something that our society doesn't really allow anymore is just this capacity to hold one another in these intense emotions. Mm-hmm. And Thank to not, you, Hannah. of course, like I'll never be able to fix what you just shared, but to be able to hold you in that. <clears throat> It's important and to take a deep breath with one another in, in the sharing of that. Mm, so thank you. And you just, and you just yeah. saying that actually lifted my heart, made me feel better. And that's exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what, it's really what an end of life doula does. You can't fix anything, but it's the capacity to be with one another in that. And so I guess by definition, a, an end of life doula is, is technically a non-medical consultant and caregiver and support person for clients and families. So as you talk about in your death cafes, probably it shouldn't be a shock to anyone that 100% of all of us will die. (laughs) And yet because we live in this death phobic society that that we're talking about that looks away from death and away from discomfort um, and from grief, we're not really skilled in navigating these natural and sacred parts of life. And as a result, we have created the culture of a medicalized death where we're often bargaining for more time instead of perhaps looking at the quality of being in the time that we have now. And so when we get the news of a terminal illness, we experience shock and denial and disbelief and we feel fear. Most of us haven't planned for this or taken the time to think about how we want to die or how we want to live since life has a time stamp on it. So the role of an end-of-life doula is to support someone and perhaps their family by initiating these conversations about end-of-life wishes so that this process can be as dignified and um, fulfilling and meaningful as possible. And it is non-prescriptive care, meaning that doula support is unique to each, to whatever particular, this particular client wants for themselves. So sure, that could be chanting and having their faith community surrounding them, or that could mean friends and family all together eating wings, drinking beer, and watching her favorite football team. So the doula supports in many ways, but definitely through education and implementing and supporting end-of-life planning, um, and if desired, through that bedside support and often sitting vigil. Now, do you have a favorite ritual that that you use to create that connection and that meaning at the end of life? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> um, there's so many ways to create ritual. So to me, 
Ritual is simply anything that separates this moment from the rest of our day. It, it anchors this moment in intention and purpose. And when done with other people, it creates community. So rituals are really important for maintaining meaning and connection. Um, they are maintenance practices for the soul, as Francis Weller says. And I think they're really underutilized in at least today's North American society, which I think contributes to those imbalances in our mental and physical and energetic health. So if you're carrying something, you need a safe place to put it down or else you grow tired and despondent. So that's grief calling for a contained space through ritual to let it out and move or simply to share whatever you're feeling that needs to come out. And the same goes with doing, doing doula work itself. You, you create a container when you're with someone in the family so that it's sacred and safe and held. And then when you leave the home and you're on your own, you have to find meaningful ways to release, whether that's lighting a candle to signify a commitment to uh, a time to unload it all, to, to write about it, to move, um, or just to share your heartbreak with, with friends, with community. And we need more of these safe spaces to decompress, to, to be willing to be vulnerable and present with ourselves and with others because Otherwise, we're suppressing what's real and true and painful, and then we close ourselves off emotionally like you spoke of. But more specifically, to answer your question, there's a beautiful anointing ritual by um, Trish Rocks, who is a key contributor of, of Conscious Dying Institute content. She's an amazing doula, amazing person. And she wrote this ritual as an act of affirmation and honoring the body and the mind and the spirit. So basically myself or, or family members anoint the body of this person. So starting with their forehead and then to the eyes, thanking them for all they've seen, to the mouth for speaking words of love, the shoulders that have borne burdens, the heart, the hands, the feet, and so forth. And it's done slowly and intentionally, and it brings family or friends together in an act of honoring this person. And it can be done um, before or after death. But its effects are, are profoundly beautiful and it's the one receiving the anointing just feels such love and care and wholeness. And, and actually we've started doing these anointing rituals during celebrations of all kind, like birthdays, because it's a way of having everyone come together in celebration and in honor of someone and letting them know how much they're loved, which is something I think we all need more of. Why we wait till death to do that, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea of doing that ritual for birthdays and for other th things while we're alive and, and can appreciate and allow that love and joy to come into our hearts. Do you have any stories around, and we're going to talk a little bit about vision mapping mm -hmm. and how you use the vision mapping technique, which was adopted from the Conscious Dying Institute, correct? Mm -hmm. And how you use that with your clients and just kind of talk about what vision mapping is for people who aren't familiar with that. Sure. Yeah. End of life doula comes in and in, into a process that's often frightening and vulnerable and where someone feels disempowered and we help shift it to instead be, be a life giving and meaningful opportunity. And so we have conversations to create an end of life care plan or vision map as we were trained to use with the conscious dying Institute to restore clients' autonomy and advocacy and comfort needs. So there's a physical healing that takes place. There's emotional healing. There's spiritual healing. Um, there's healing as it relates to life legacy and, you know, what gave life meaning, as well as after-death care support. 
So it really goes beyond advanced directives and provides a level of support that hospice isn't always able to. Um, but the, the vision map that you speak of, the idea of the best three months vision map is that we ask a client to imagine that they have three months left to live, even if they're newly diagnosed and have much longer time to live based on a prognosis, let's say. So we, we ask this person to imagine having three months left to live hypothetically. So if you had three months left to live, how do you want to live that? Um, what are your priorities? What, what matters most to you? How do you want to be cared for in that time? And we ask that question through the lens of five different domains. So the physical, such as where do you want to be? Um, what do you want your environment surrounding you to look like? What sights, scents, sounds, and so on? Um, who do you want to be there with you? Who don't you want there? How do you want your body to be cared for, both in the health you're in now and also when you're not able to speak or get out of bed so that we know what you want and can make that happen? And then we have the emotional domain. So is there any unfinished business there might be? Um, any work with forgiveness or things that are left unsaid in relationships that can offer you a sense of completion and fulfillment? And then we have the spiritual domain. How can we best support you spiritually? What uh, practices and, and support are important to you? And then there's the domain as it relates to one's life legacy. So what gives your life meaning? What are you most proud of? How do you want to be remembered and celebrated? And how can we support that? Many people are doing living funerals now, which is a way for friends and family to come together before someone's died and celebrate them, which I think is beautiful. Then there's the practical or the, or the after-death care domain of what do you want to happen after you die? How do you want us to care for your body afterward? You know, with reverence, with an anointing ritual, or do you want to die at home? And if so, do you want us to stay with your body for a few hours or even days or you know days afterward? Uh, have a ceremony at home, or do you want to go to a funeral home shortly after? So what cultural practices do you have? Things like that. Um, do you want to be buried or cremated, green burial? And, and of course, making sure that the, the will, advanced directive, all that good stuff is, is completed. And so the idea is that a doula supports a client in each of these five domains. Um, and we look at their dream or their vision of how, you know, their best life possible, their best death possible. Then we look at where they are now and how we can get from A to B. We create tangible goals um, so that we can achieve that vision. We put it on paper and we do those things that by the time this one is undergoing the actual dying process, we know how to best ad advocate for them and create the most fulfilling and beautiful death possible. Hannah, when would you start that process? Would you start that process before they had been diagnosed? As With early a, as possible. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, could it be for, because it sounds like exactly what we need to, to be thinking about in our lives anyway. Exactly. People often call me when, I don't want to say when it's too late, but I think everyone should have, be having these conversations no matter what age you are, no matter what health status you are, the earlier the better because nothing is a guarantee. You know, death can come at any time to anyone, anywhere. So it's really about embodying that, that understanding, that awareness to change the way we live. And what you said, Hannah, I, I just wish that people really take to heart and understand that it can happen at any time and to be having those conversations as early as possible. Do you have a, a story that you use that vision mapping with? You know, I've used the tool so many times and it's different each time. Sometimes we go through the whole thing in great detail 
And, and most of the time, as I just mentioned, it's too late to actually have the conversations at the level they could or should be had at. But without fail, every time it's used, it serves as an invitation um, and an opportunity to experience fulfillment and empowerment and clarity instead of overwhelm. So there's the invitation for forgiveness and acceptance rather than resentment. Um, it creates comfort and peace. And, and it's all because of this process, allowing people to identify their priorities and really supporting them in enacting those. And it definitely infuses meaning and purpose every time without fail, not, not only to the person dying, but for their friends, family, even their community. Um, the amount of community involvement I've seen in coming together to support someone and to collaborate has been so beautiful, especially coming to mind are two younger clients I've had over the years. There was a man only in his thirties and then a young boy who I cared for deeply. Um, and so in these cases, when no one can, you know, wrap their mind around the reality of this beautiful young person dying, somehow from that comes this most transformative and peaceful death for this person and the coming together of their community in the most profound ways. And, and that's rippled out now into their corner of the world and into society. This permission to come together to open to these conversations around death and grief instead of shutting down and to be curious and to learn what options are available. And that's how this work is restoring death as a sacred rite of passage. And instead of saying that death is something that shouldn't happen or happens only to other people. You said, and I saw this on your website, that death is indeed life-giving and infuses our lives with meaning and appreciation. Can you go into that deeper? Sure. I think we're really good at living through our minds these days. We're, you know, we analyze, we try and make sense of things. We try to control things. Um, but life is really wild and, and bigger than we can comprehend. And that's why I love this awareness because it reminds us that as much as we'd like to think of ourselves as masters of the world and special, um, and separate from nature and from one another, actually we are very much a part of nature and inextricably connected to everything. And we can't cheat death no matter how much money is in our wallets or how intelligent we are. There's a great Stephen Levine quote on that who I love. So in this way, death keeps us humble and honest and close to the ground. And it allows us the opportunity to practice surrender, you know, to live in the present moment, which is the only one that's guaranteed, um, to love more deeply, to live through our hearts rather than our heads, maybe to forgive more easily, to not take ourselves so seriously, and to appreciate the gifts of existence, knowing that you know, it's maybe the fleeting nature of things that makes them beautiful in the first place. And so I think it's our debt in some way to, to really give generously from that place of gratitude for life itself. And that is what infuses meaning. Um, I used to teach a mindfulness meditation in a behavioral health facility, and we would practice simply witnessing this moment as if for the first and the last time. So instead of attaching names for things and judgments, just witnessing it as it is. And nothing makes us more present and filled with meaning and gratitude than knowing the impermanence of all things. 
Hannah, I am loving this conversation. <laughs> you have such a, a gentle, loving spirit about you mm-hmm. and very, very calming, actually, to my heart. <laughs> Thank you, Cindy. Thank you. Have you seen changes during the pandemic about how people are thinking about death and dying? I mean, we've had a year and a half, a little bit over a year and a half now. Mm. What have you seen as a sacred passage doula with death and dying during this time? I would say that there's definitely more of a conversation surrounding death in the last couple of years, definitely in part to the pandemic. Um, a lot of grief and loss on so many levels. You know, not only losing friends and family in the physical sense, but this awareness now that life is not and has never been stable or permanent, even though we thought it was. You know, we mentioned earlier that life is a series of many changes and losses, jobs, relationships, identities, and this pandemic really brought all of those up to the surface at once. So this virus undoubtedly has really shaken things up, um, notably our beliefs about our safety and our immunity. So there are definitely more and more conversations about death being had, which is amazing. Uh, More doula training programs popping up, uh, more support available with death care and grief work, which I think is tremendous. Um, Yeah. As an aside, because of this support of doula care, of doula programs, death care now being offered, I just want to encourage anyone who's interested in either uh, becoming a doula or receiving doula care to just do their research um, about the depth of a program in, in regards to integrity and content, just so you're receiving a doula or a program that's a good fit for all involved. But yeah, absolutely. So many more conversations. And it's this just start having those conversations and every conversation matters. Mm. You know, I had a, I had a, a guest on and she talked about conversation circles. Now mm-hmm. hers were around different things other than death, but you know, just having people come together almost like a death cafe and just having those conversations, I just find are so important. And even having those conversations, I would like to see a, a conversation circle around people being able to come together and talk about the pandemic and their feelings mm. around death and dying. I think Absolutely. that would be very, very healing to people. Absolutely. So what more. would you tell your 18-year-old self about the season of life you're in now? Oh, man. <laughs> I would tell her to quiet the noise around her and to learn to listen to her own voice and to to really live for herself and not for others. And that, that intuition and inner knowing um, won't lead her astray. And that the greatest honor she can do for herself is to be herself unapologetically. And I would tell her that the more she opens to life, the more life will open to her. And it's from that place that she can really trust the journey and enjoy the journey 
and know that there's never truly a destination anyway. Mm, so beautiful. Are there any last words of wisdom, encouragement that you would like to leave the guest? Anything that you would like to say that you haven't touched on? Um, just, just as you said, Cindy, just initiate those conversations. You know, if anyone in your life is, um, you know, their health is declining, they have a new diagnosis, um, you know, tell, tell people that these changes in life are normal and that talking about it makes it better because it restores autonomy and our ability to claim what matters most to us instead of diminishing our autonomy and our presence in life. So no matter what, what age you are, what other, what other health condition you're in, just give some thought to these questions. You know, plan and advocate for yourselves and, and your loved ones because life is not certain. Live, live as if you're dying because we are. Life of the party, Cindy, I know. <laughs> No, that was perfect. Absolutely perfect. Now, how can people work with you? Do you just work with um, people in Key West? Or I, I'm sorry, um, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to no. say, just, I didn't know if you did online courses where people could from all over the country could work with you. I do. I do. I, I offer workshops and groups and communities where we actually do that best three months. Um, coaching I talked about and I do that privately with clients or in groups. Um, although at the moment lately I, I mentioned, you mentioned actually that I've been teaching other people to be doulas through the Conscious Dying Institute. Um, so I'm, I'm directing most of my energy towards seeing clients and as a, as a doula and doing grief work, um, and bringing end of life doula trainings into hospital systems as well. So that end of life care in hospitals can be as supportive as what I described earlier. Um, so, so yes, I do workshops, I do private work, but also if anyone listening is a healthcare provider and feels, um, unfulfilled or unsupported in, in end of life care that you're able to provide, or if you feel that your fellow providers are having a difficult time initiating these conversations about end of life care, feel free to contact me as well. So we can have a conversation about how to better support your staff and, um, bring grief support into into your workplace um, and just up those resources for both staff and patients alike because this work nourishes not only patients and their outcomes but also changes our ability to care for ourselves and, and for one another. It really riches all involved. And what is your website? Uh, my private website is eternalgracedoula.com and uh, if anyone's interested in the Conscious Dying Institute, that is ConsciousDyingInstitute.com. All right. And I will have uh, put both of those into the show notes. Awesome. And thank you. Again, thank you so much for being a guest. I, I really, you have opened my heart. It's mutual, Cindy. <laughs> thank you. Truly, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Leaving a rating and review helps to improve rankings in iTunes. It shows engagement, which may attract sponsors, and it is essential for the podcast to be discovered by new listeners. Plus, it would mean the world to me. 
Thanks again. Until next time, live inspired.